Well, we have in our readings today two texts that highlights the idea of Catholicity, that the faith that Christ has left behind in the world is Catholic. First and foremost, we have our responsorial psalm, and altogether we said, all the ends of the earth have seen the saving power of God. We understand that from the beginning, right from the call of Abraham, one man in the Middle East, the faith that God gave to him and the calling that God gave to him was not meant for him alone or even for the relatively limited number of blood descendants that would proceed from, from, from him. But that, that faith and that vocation were meant for all the earth. And so Israel was put in place so that the Messiah would come and so that the Messiah's religion would then be uh, spread throughout the whole earth. And so that's what Catholic means. Catholic means throughout the entirety, throughout the whole. Okay, And then, of course, we have in our gospel text Christ's naming of Peter, the most famous naming of, of Peter and, and, and his connection to the Catholicity of the church is found in Matthew 16, where Christ says, Now, our Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we have here a kind of a foreshadowing of that, uh, that eventual um, moment when Peter is, professes his faith, and then Christ says, On that rock, the, the person of Peter, and upon also the faith that he professed, the church will be built. We have a kind of a foreshadowing here because Jesus, the first time that he sees Peter, says, you're going to be called Cephas, which is an Aramaic word, which means uh, rock. And so we have this, uh, the, the, the Catholicity of the church, the fact that the faith is spread throughout the whole world, and that it remains consistent is going to have a lot to do with, the, with communion with, with Peter and with the bishop that succeeds to his particular ministry. So this is what the Catholicity of the faith that Christ left behind um, has to do with. Now today we celebrate the feast of Elizabeth, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. And it's a, it's a proud day for us American Catholics because we don't have a lot of, I said it before, but we don't have a lot of saints. <laughs> the Italians have thousands of saints. The Spanish have thousands of saints. Uh, Americans have, oh, I don't know, maybe six. <laughs> So um, we, every one of them counts for us. So Elizabeth Ann Seton, and she's a very special American saint because she's the first native-born American saint who uh, was canonized. Uh, we, tomorrow we celebrate the, um, the Feast of John Neumann, or John Newman, and he's an American saint because he, he ministered here and, and died here, but he was born in uh, Bohemia or, or Germany. Uh, and that's the case for a lot of American saints. But Elizabeth Ann Seton is a homegrown American saint. Now, she had a, a great appreciation for the Catholicity of the faith that Jesus left behind. She was actually born into an Episcopalian family um, in the year 1774, so, so basically right before the American Revolution. Um, and the Episcopalians, uh, George Washington was an Episcopalian. The Episcopalians were the, the official church of England. They're Anglicans. So they had a, a pretty good presence here in America, and there were probably, you know, in the, in the 18th century, there's probably a lot more Episcopalians than there were Catholics. Um, so she was born into an Episcopalian uh, family. She married when she was 20 years old. She had five kids, all in her 20, when she was in her 20s. 
her and her husband, her Episcopalian husband, they actually moved to Italy for, I don't know, I think maybe business reasons or whatever. And while in Italy, uh, good news and bad news. The bad news was that her husband died. The good news was that she uh, converted to the Catholic faith. And, um, and she was only in her early 30s when that happened. And it was only a few years after that that back in America she founded the one of the first Catholic schools in America, in Baltimore. And then she founded a religious order. Okay, So she was basically the, the mother superior of a group of nuns, and these nuns were dedicated to teaching. And the religious order is still with us today. It's called They're called the Sisters of Charity. They're dedicated to Catholic education, to religious education and education in general. So her heritage is still strong, and she was one of the founders of uh, American Catholic schools, which really were very, very special and still are special to this day. Unfortunately, they're kind of disappearing. But uh, American Catholic education is an amazing heritage, an amazing heritage that we have that we really should be proud of. And so she's one of the, the big leaders of that. But when it comes to the Catholicity of the faith, I'll just kind of show you something here from our opening prayer. Okay, it says, O God, who crowned with the gift of true faith, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton's burning zeal to find you. She had a longing to find God. There's a really uh, neat part uh, of her life that she recounts, or someone recounts for her in one of her biographies, where she says she was. there's an Episcopalian church and a Catholic church side by side, and she was in the Episcopalian church as an Episcopalian, longing to receive Holy Communion that she just felt, like in the depths of her heart, she felt that it was over there. <laughs> it was like she looked out the window and she, she knew the Eucharist was in that building and not in this one. Um, and she had that this longing and this desire, this hunger to receive Holy Communion, which the, the Catholic Church has and the Episcopalian Church does not have. Um, and uh, that zeal of hers brought her eventually, it was the grace of God, and it, its eventual fruition was her conversion to Catholicism. So it says, grant by her intercession and example that we may always seek you with diligent love and find you in daily service with sincere faith. So she embraced the Catholic faith. And we have to remember, you know, it says right here, it says, Burns, um, you crowned her with the gift of true faith. And uh, there's this balance that we as Catholics have to strike. And that is a balance between saying that we understand that God's grace and elements of the true faith are operative outside the boundaries of the Catholic faith. And it is possible for people to be saved outside the boundaries of the Catholic faith. Uh, but if they are saved, it's because they have elements of the Catholic faith that are saving them. Their, their erroneous beliefs do not save them. Okay, God overlooks their erroneous beliefs because... They're not, they're not subjectively culpable for it. Okay, they were, they don't know any better. They were born into the, into the error, whatever it is. Okay? So, they're not guilty of any sin in that regards. Okay? But, nonetheless, the thing that saves them is what is originally found in the Bible and in the Catholic Church. So, we have to kind of, remembering that, stops us from becoming kind of like bigots and saying, well, you know, we've got everything and you guys are all going to hell. And, you know, that kind of a bad, stupid attitude. It's irrational. And it's not true to God's way of um, 
uh, unfolding his plan of salvation for the human race. Now, on the other hand, though, we have to say that the Catholic faith is the true faith, and it's not uh, it's not like lacking in anything. That the entirety of Christ's religion that he wanted to give to the world resides in the Catholic Church. And so, at the same time, we have to affirm that. We have to um, value truth, and we have to stand upon it with fidelity. Nothing breaks, I've said this before, nothing breaks my heart more than when I see Catholics denying the Catholic faith. <laughs> it's really a crazy situation where they're given the entirety of the truth and they deny it. Like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, the Pope is infallible. How stupid can you, you know? Or what about that moral teaching or purgatory? Oh, stupid. I don't believe it. You know, what, what have you. Nothing is more tragic than a Catholic who's been given the entirety of the faith, but yet denies elements or aspects of it. So I, I, we can look to Elizabeth and Seton as a great way of how to balance these two things, where she had received so much as an Episcopalian, but yet at the same time, she longed for the fullness of the truth that was in the Catholic faith. And that desire, that sincere desire for that fullness of truth, um, was was fruitful to her for her conversion and for her salvation. And then she didn't just say, well, here I am, I've arrived, and everything's okay, I'm the greatest ever. She turned around and she served others. She set up the religious congregation, and she went and she educated, and she spread that Catholic faith until her, her dying day. So she's a great example of sincere desire and love for truth, and sincere faith, and then also sincere charity, uh, putting that faith into action.